0: Well, I heard that song this week and uh, it ministered to my heart. I thought it might minister to yours as well. Um, whoever wrote that song gets it. That uh, it's not about life on earth. We're just passing through. And everything that happens here to us is, is all to prepare us for heaven. And um, for those of, uh, those of us that know Christ as our Lord and Savior this is just a, a reminder to us that um, this is just a bunch of stuff and right and uh, someday we're going to go to heaven where uh, we'll have, we won't need any of it because we'll have Christ and uh, those of those people that don't know Christ that God uses these things to, to convict them that there's got to be more to this life than this muck that I'm in right now and uh, there's got to be more. And so, I like the line that, uh, in that song that says, God longs that we would have faith to believe. And oftentimes, God sends storms, both literally and figuratively, to expose our lack of faith in order to increase our faith. And God incarnate, Jesus Christ, asked his disciples immediately after he had calmed the storm, Where is your faith? And this simple, timeless question is found in Luke's description of of the classic story of of Jesus' stilling the storm in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. And I want to invite you to turn. Uh, to this text this morning as I was thinking about w- what do you say after after that? <laughs> well, what do you say after what we've all experienced and witnessed, participated in, and will continue to participate in? We've looked at this passage before in times past. Just consider this the Hurricane Harvey edition, okay? Uh, I feel like it, It applies. Now, in one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, master, master, we're perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Father, use this portion of your word to comfort those who need to be comforted to convict those who need to be convicted. And most of all, Lord, to conform all of us more to the image of your son, the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. I think a good title for this text would be weatherproof faith. We know this term weatherproof, it's it means uh, something's able to withstand exposure to the to the harsh elements of nature without being damaged. It it can stand up against the raging wind, the pounding rain, the, the the freezing snow and ice, the blistering sun. We we get that. It's weatherproof. Let's apply that concept to our faith as Christians, because all of us at times are exposed to some of the harsh elements of life that car accident, that malignant tumor, that loss of a loved one, that wayward child, that pain of a failed marriage, that sadness of a broken friendship, or the biggest rainfall ever recorded in the history of the continental United States and all the catastrophic effects of it. The question we need to ask ourselves is, is our faith strong enough to withstand the storms of life without being damaged? Is is our faith tough enough to endure and and bear up under the, the harsh conditions, the circumstances that we all face in life from time to time? Do we have, do you have, do I have weatherproof faith? And I think there's some principles in this story that can help us develop weatherproof faith. In order to weather the storms of life, whether that's literal or figurative, we must understand and apply these three principles to our lives. Number one, we need to realize that storms are a normal, necessary part of our lives. Storms are a normal, necessary part of our lives. Verse 22, now on the, one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so they launched out. Luke doesn't specify here the exact time of the boat trip. Matthew and Mark, and their accounts, tell us it happened in the evening after a very long, tiring day of ministry, and so Jesus wanted a break. He wanted to get away from the demands of teaching and and healing, so he he, he knew uh, the other side of the lake would be much more peaceful. Uh, It would be like a place to retreat. And so he said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Notice what it says, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. Jesus was so exhausted that he, he just crashed in the back of the boat and, and, and was laying on a cushion, according to Mark's gospel. And again, this is, this is proof of Christ's humanity. The, the, the fact that he got tired and had to sleep, just like you and me, shows that he was really human, even though he was fully God. He was fully human. And while Jesus was asleep, it says that a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Now, the Sea of Galilee is more like a big lake. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that it really looks, when you uh, stand up on a mountain and look at it, it's smaller than Lake Conroe. It's definitely shorter uh, in length. It's about 13 miles long, maybe a little wider, eight miles wide. But what is unique about the Sea of Galilee or this lake, it's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. And it's approximately 700 feet below sea level and surrounded by all these hills that are just carved with ravines and, 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 and they just act like funnels when the wind comes up over from the Mediterranean Sea and it comes rushing down uh, like funnels and, and the wind rushes down, on the, down the hills through these ravines with great velocity and the, the lake is famous or maybe notorious for sudden storms that can strike quickly and unexpectedly. In fact, I had the privilege of uh, teaching this particular text uh, on a boat in the Sea of Galilee a few years back. And, and we got on the boat when we embarked. It was beautiful. It was just, a, just kind of a glassy sea, a, a calm lake. And and uh, we were just enjoying ourselves. And then it was time for me to get up. And, and during the, the little message time, the devotion, uh, all of a sudden the waves started splashing over uh, the sides of the boat and, and, and spray was getting all over our people. And windsurfers were just flying by, uh, taking advantage of the winds. And, and it was just a, the, the oddest sight or feeling, but that's the Sea of Galilee. But notice what it says here, a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. Matthew called it a great storm, literally a shaking. It was so violent that Mark recorded the waves were breaking over the boat, and the boat was in the process of filling up with water. As, it, as Luke records here, it was swamped, and they were in danger I mean, this was a very dangerous situation. It, it, it appeared to the disciples that the boat was going to sink. And they were scared that they were all going to drown in the middle of this lake that is, uh, uh, at, at the deepest point, it was over 140 feet deep. Now, keep in mind that some of the disciples on that boat were experienced fishermen. They had made a living fishing that lake. They, 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 they were veteran sailors, if you will, they, they probably knew this lake like the back of their hand. And so they had seen many storms during their many years on that lake, and so the fact that they were scared out of their wits must mean that this was the big one, that this was unprecedented. They hadn't seen anything, ever experienced anything like this before. This was something that no one of them had seen, and And so the question we should ask is, what were were these disciples doing? How did they get in this situation to begin with? Well, they were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. They were being obedient to his command to get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. And yet they were hit with this tremendous storm. And I think this is important for us to remember that, that sometimes we, we wrongly assume that the only time we face storms in our lives is when we're disobedient and God has to punish us. God has to discipline us like Jonah. I wouldn't want to have been on that boat with that runaway prophet. That wasn't gonna end well. But what about men like Job and Joseph? And the Apostle Paul, I mean, these were godly, faithful, obedient men who lived lives of integrity, and yet they faced more horrendous storms than most of us will ever experience in our our entire lives. See, living an obedient life doesn't mean we'll never face any difficulties in life. In fact, it may mean that we'll experience more difficulties. Why? Because that's how God causes us to grow and mature as a Christian. And the irony is that, that those awful storms that, that threaten to shipwreck our faith are really designed by God to strengthen our faith. Trials test and, and toughen our faith so we're able to endure even greater storms in the future. We've been learning that in the book of James. James chapter one, verse two, consider all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And that perseverance or endurance have its perfect work so that you'll be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so Jesus' question here is, is where's your faith? And I think the question that, that he asked was intended to expose their unbelief for the purpose of building their faith, strengthening their faith. One commentator said it well. He said, though the disciples had no way to know it during those terrible moments, that miserable storm was a divinely appointed vehicle to teach them about God and his power in their lives. This choreography of heaven was essential for their spiritual development. I don't know if you thought about viewing Hurricane Harvey as the choreography of heaven. Wow. Wow. a biblical perspective. He said, this is a vital principle of spiritual life. Without difficulties, without trials, without stresses, even failures, we would never grow to be what we should become. Storms are part of the process of spiritual growth. And so whenever we are in the midst of a raging storm, whether that be literally or Figuratively, we need to realize that even though we may not understand why we're going through this particular situation, we we can be confident that God has sovereignly ordained this situation to teach us some things that we couldn't learn any other way. And so storms are a normal, necessary part of our lives. We need to realize that. We need to realize that. Secondly, we need to rely on the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need to rely on the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Look at verse 24. As the boat was being swamped and they were in danger, they came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. You can imagine the disciples, they, they didn't want to wake Jesus. They knew how hard he'd been working. And hey, what does he know about fishing and, 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 and sailing? I mean, hey, we're the experts here. And so they, they were doing everything that they could to keep the boat on course, to keep it from filling up with water. But they, the faster they bailed, the, the faster it came in. And all their attempts to save themselves were futile. They were, they were at their wit's end. They were truly Helpless. I was thinking to myself on Sunday night as I was sitting on my couch, doing an all-nighter, uh, just so I could see this uh, how how quickly this the the lake was coming up around us and 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 watching it on my driveway and seeing if I'd have to get my family out in the middle of the night, not sure what to do. And I was I was sitting on that couch praying for a while and going out and looking and praying for a while and going out and looking. And it seemed like the harder I prayed, the harder it rained. And I was like, Lord, you've got to stop this rain. And, and, and probably around 2 a.m., I just, I just remember just kind of surrendering on the couch and just saying, Lord, I have your way. Do what you want. And, 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 I, and I was struck by the fact that I, I probably can count on one hand, maybe three fingers, the times that I've truly felt helpless in life. We don't feel helpless, particularly in the Western world, right, where we just, we're protected, we're shielded, we have ways of preventing this and protecting ourselves and guarding ourselves and having security and resources, and and, and rarely do we ever truly feel helpless, desperate enough to cry out to Jesus as our last resort. There's nothing else I can, there's no one I can call, there's no one I, Jesus, it's just me and you. And so, here in the middle of this raging storm, wind howling, boats going up and down, waves crashing, water splashing, every disciples are screaming commands to one another. And Jesus was sleeping like a baby in the back of the boat. What an amazing picture. And the only thing that woke him up were the frantic cries of, of his freaked out disciples We're perishing. Matthew records, Save us, Lord. Mark says, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, critics of the Bible, well, look, like, see, there's contradictions in the scriptures. You, you can't trust the Bible. They're, look at all that discrepancy there. They, they weren't even saying the same thing. Well, I think there was lots of things being screamed all at the same time. You got 12 guys in a boat, right? The, 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 I think the natural explanation is that the, 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 different disciples were yelling different things. But notice what they were yelling and what they were suddenly accusing Jesus of Not caring, uh, of being aloof about the serious nature of the problem. Don't you care? The fact that he was sleeping through all the commotion made it appear that he was oblivious to what was going on. And I think sometimes when we're in the middle of a a stormy situation or a literal storm, it, it feels like God is oblivious to us. He's not responding to us as, in the way we want him to, or at least not as quickly as we want him to. He's not doing what we asked him to do, and we, we may wonder, does he, does he care? Does he, does he know? Is he even there? The psalmist, I think, expressed the heart of every one of us who have felt this way at some point in our lives. The psalmist said things like, hey, where are you, God. How long will you hide your face from me if you've forgotten me? Do you, do you realize what I'm going through down here? I mean, the psalmist was, was honest, brutally honest, and yet he was quick to remind us that, that God neither slumbers nor sleep, sleeps. He, he's always awake, watching over us. He's, what's more, he's always walking with us wherever we go. I love that song that we sang, Sovereign Over Us, and one of the, verses or the chorus comes straight out of Isaiah 43 verse 2 when you pass through the waters I will be with you and through the rivers they will not overflow you when you walk through the fire you will not be scorched nor will the flame burn you notice what Jesus did as soon as he was awoken by the disciples he got up verse 24 and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. Mark Mark tells us that Jesus woke up and said, hush, be still. And everything went quiet instantly. That doesn't happen. That's not natural. Naturally, the wind would kind of ease up a bit. The waves would have some time to settle down, right? No, it's like everything, no wind, no waves, glassy sea in a moment. I mean, that's power. And I think the root of the the disciples' fear may have not been so much that they were going to lose their lives as maybe if they all drowned and all their hopes, all their dreams, all their plans that were wrapped up in this guy, Jesus, would drown too. And so in more than one way, the ship was going down, literally and and figuratively. And what they didn't realize though, that as long as Jesus was on board that ship, that ship couldn't go down. In fact, that was the safest place in the entire universe at that moment on board that ship. There was no safer place to be than right there alongside Jesus. And so after rebuking the wind and the waves, Jesus rebuked his disciples for their lack of faith. Where's your faith? I'm right here. Why are you guys freaking out? The essence of faith is believing what God has said, taking God at his word. What did Jesus say to them in verse 23? Or, excuse me, verse 22? Let us go over to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, let's go to the bottom of the lake. Right? He said, the other side. And, and, and God always keeps his word. Look at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. In other words, they made it to the other side. They arrived, just like Jesus has said. Again, this is such a great example for us that as, as we, we tend, I think all of us tend to act like the disciples when we're when, we, when we're in a situation hit by some unexpected storm. Again, literally, figuratively, we begin to worry. We get stressed out. We run around frantic, trying to fix it ourselves. And when nothing seems to work and things get worse, we we, we adopt a, hey, the ship's going down mentality. And, and we finally call out to Jesus as a last resort. And I think if Jesus were... To be up here this morning and would address us, I think he might ask us the same question. He might say to us, hey, Lakeside, where's your faith? Where's your faith, Lakeside? Hang in there. You're gonna make it. As long as I'm the Lord of your life. And so when we're in the middle of a storm, instead of giving up hope, we need to look to our divine captain, Jesus Christ, and rely fully on his presence, his power to bring us through to the other side. And so no matter how scary things get in the midst of the storm or the trial, remember you are in the safest place possible. You are in the best position imaginable. No better place to be than Houston, Texas. We're right exactly where the Lord would have us. And Jesus is right here with us. Third principle, final principle remember that God is in control of everything in our lives. Remember that God is in control of everything in our lives. Notice how this story ends. It says, um, He said to them, verse 25, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed. A moment ago, this guy was sleeping just like any one of us and then he gets up and does something only God can do. He controlled the weather. Psalm 89, verse eight, O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you? O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. I think it's a good place to just remind ourselves that the Bible clearly teaches that there's, there's really no such thing as a purely natural disaster. There's only supernatural ones. Every earthquake, every tornado, every fire, every blizzard, every tsunami, every hurricane is ultimately ordained by God. Nature does not have a mind or a will of its own. Mother nature is under the power, the sovereign control of Father God. Job 37.10, from the breath of God, ice is made and the expanse of waters is frozen. Also with moisture, he loads the thick cloud. He disperses the cloud of his lightning and it changes direction, turning around by his guidance that it may do whatever he commands it on the face of the inhabited earth. Whether for correction or for loving kindness, he causes it to happen. Psalm 148, verse 8. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Psalm 147, verse 15, he sends forth his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters to flow. How about these verses? These are a little more hard to swallow. Isaiah 31, two. he also is wise and will bring disaster. Isaiah 45.6, I am the Lord and there is no other The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And then Amos 3.6, if a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? That's what we see here, the sovereignty of, of God through his son, Jesus Christ, it says that they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Who is this guy? I mean, they would seen him heal people and, 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 and uh, make bread and, and, and reproduce bread and, and bring dead people back to life. And, but this was the greatest demonstration of raw power that they had ever witnessed. The elements of nature had gone wildly out of control, and they recognized the voice of Jesus when he spoke to them. And they immediately obeyed him like he was their master. And it dawns on them that, that Jesus was not just a great teacher, he's not just a, a faith healer, he's not just a, a prophet, a zealous revolutionary, he's God. He's the creator, the controller. And when they realized who Jesus was, that's when they really got scared. I heard someone say one time that the only thing scarier than a storm outside your boat is to have God in your boat. And yet whenever we're faced with a stormy situation, we must always keep in mind that our all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-good, all-loving God has everything under control. Amen? So we need to realize that storms are a normal, necessary part of our lives. We need to rely on the presence and power of Christ in our lives. We need to remember that God is in control of everything in our lives. Listen, God is up to something good here. And if you're a believer, we know part of that good is to make you, make us more like Christ, to build up strength in our faith. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, guess what? God's up to something good in your life too. He's he's stirring up and producing faith in your life god uses difficult situations like this to convict people of their sinfulness their their helplessness to deal with life's problems on their own and to convince them that they need jesus that they need the lord jesus christ they need the faith and the hope that comes with having a personal relationship with god you may be here this morning and you're not a christian maybe this is all new to you you've never come to church, or maybe you've gone to church all your lives, but you know you've never truly committed your life to follow Christ. You're not a Christian. Jesus is not in your boat, if you will. Well, how about you get him in your boat today? How about you admit the fact that you are a sinner who deserves to die and go to hell, but at the same time, believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place, to take the punishment, the wrath for your sin. And it's trusting in him and his work on the cross alone. It's the only way that you can escape death and hell. And then why don't you commit your life to follow, to obey the Lord Jesus Christ as your master, your creator, your sovereign, your controller, your provider, your sustainer. I don't know how many of you read the emails that were going out. It probably at some point you said, I don't have time to read another email from Lakeside Bible Church. Um, I can appreciate that because they were coming fast. Um, but I gave you a link to read C.H. Spurgeon's morning entry out of his devotional, daily devotional, August 31st, Friday morning. My wife comes in and says, hey, honey, you need to read this. She reads that every morning, and I read it when she tells me to. So she read it and said, honey, you got to read this. This is, this is unbelievable. Spurgeon was commenting on Isaiah 51.5, on mine arm shall they trust. Granted, this was written 100 and some years ago. You might have thought he wrote it on Friday morning. For us, in seasons of severe trial, the Christian has nothing on earth that he can trust and is therefore compelled to cast himself on his God alone. When his vessel is on its beam's end and no human deliverance can avail, he must simply and entirely trust himself to the providence and care of God. Happy storm that wrecks a man on such a rock as this. O oh, blessed hurricane that drives the soul to God and God alone. How in the world did he know it was hurricane season? I don't think they get hurricanes in London. O tempest-tossed believer, it is a happy trouble that drives thee to thy father. Now that thou hast only thy God to trust to, see that thou puttest thy full confidence in him. Dishonor not thy Lord and master by unworthy doubts and fears, but be strong in faith, giving glory to God. And then he said this, now is the time for feats of faith and valiant exploits. Be strong and very courageous and the Lord thy God shall certainly as surely as he built the heavens and the earth glorify himself in thy weakness and magnify his might in the midst of thy distress. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words from one of your great saints, Spurgeon, that seem as if he wrote them with Houston in mind. And yet we know ultimately you directed him to write these things to be an encouragement to us today. And more importantly, you directed Luke to record the story of Jesus stilling the storm. And we're so thankful for the comfort that comes to us, Lord, from that story. I pray you would. Uh, grant us grace to, to put into practice these principles, to apply them to our lives during this time of distress. Lord, that you would accomplish feats of faith and valiant exploits through this body for your glory, for your honor, and for the, for the gospel, we pray. May many souls come to Christ as a result of Hurricane Harvey. What Harvey meant for evil, we know you mean for good. And we trust you in that, in Jesus' name, amen.